This is the Author Archive podcast. I'm David Freeman. Sometimes now, in the summer of 2022, looking, viewing the news can be dispiriting. Uh, But sometimes, maybe it's better to take the long view. It's equally dispiriting, but it gives a sense of perspective. Twenty years ago, Philip Henscher published a novel, a big sweeping novel called The Mulberry Empire. It was about the British mounting an assault on Afghanistan in the early 19th century. Afghanistan has been the center of this stuff. Poor Afghanistan for years and years. And when I met Philip Henscher. Not everyone liked this novel when it was first published, and I understand why, but I put it to him that this was a big, expansive, sort of old-fashioned novel. It's, well, it certainly is. I mean, the, the thing about, um, the thing about writing, writing novels is that after a bit, you sort of get sick of the sound of your own voice in a, in a strange way. And I've always really loved the 19th century novel, the great classic 19th century novels. And in a strange way, I thought when I started to think about writing a historical novel or a novel set in the 19th century, um, I didn't really want to, to write a historical novel. I wanted to do something which couldn't be done. I wanted to write a 19th century novel. So, you know, it is very much like those, uh, those great classics. It is set in the past. It is about kind of big, big issues of love and duty and, and um, imperial adventure and all of those things that we seem to have forgotten about as, um, at, you know, at the turn of the, the 21st century. But you also take the time to build character and you also take the time to revel in little events. Yeah, I think, um, I I mean, in that sense, yes, I've always been an old-fashioned novelist. I think that, um, yes, you know, if you're not interested in character, if you're not interested in creating a world, then... I don't see, you know, why, you know, why a reader should be interested in your world. That's always been something I've paid a lot of attention to, um, but it's something that I've learned from the 19th century novelists. It's something that um, is something that I kind of felt um, was one of the reasons that I wanted to write a novel set in the 19th century. Um, yeah, absolutely. I wanted to create a whole whole world to set this extraordinary kind of series of events in that the book is about. You couldn't have known. We're sitting, talking, end of March 2002, and this is astonishingly relevant, isn't it? Yes, it's a very curious thing, actually. I mean, I started writing it about five years ago. It's about um, the British invasion of Afghanistan in the 1830s. Um, At the time when I started writing it, I mean, Afghanistan and what was going on in Afghanistan was sort of at the back of my mind. Um, I had no idea, of course, nobody had any idea that it would become so incredibly relevant after I'd finished it. I finished it last Easter, um, and six months later there suddenly was a real war in Afghanistan. That's um, something which I, you know, I'm, which, which I find actually rather frightening. 
Yes, um, one hopes that history won't repeat itself because the the actual central event mm. of the British going in and being yeah. completely wiped out that actually happened. Yes, it absolutely, absolutely happened. The events of the the novel um, are pretty well uh, an account of history in in broad terms. Um, it does seem as though um, though history is repeating itself to a certain degree. I mean the. Um, the British went in to um, to impose a leader of their own choice, and their opponents. Um, when they went in, they well, we we we're seeing the situation repeating itself now. The their opponents ran away to the hills and then started fighting back with a long, long drawn out uh, guerrilla war. And that seems to be pretty well what's happening in Afghanistan now. I mean, I very much hope that um, that the the denouement of the the first Afghan war, my war, um, won't happen again, in which you know six, an army of sixteen thousand people re was reduced by the Afghans to one survivor in five days. But um, um, certainly, certainly, the war in Afghanistan that's going on now um, is nowhere near its end. I'm sure, absolutely sure of that. Yes, because one of the characters um, in this, uh, yeah, the musket, the um, the Afghan musket might not have been very accurate mm. then, but it really didn't need to be because no. um, you, you've got the uh -huh. the landscape on your side, haven't you? You've Absolutely. got the ravines, and, and that's yeah. just the same. Yeah, the um, uh, well, I mean, weaponry actually becomes a great um, a great kind of theme in the book, really, because um, the point about the musket was that it was extremely, extremely cheap. It was, you know, what was known as a 10 rupee jazile. So anybody could have one. Um, and they, as you say, it's the terrain. They, you know, they knew this terrain intimately. Um, they could simply disappear into it. And even now, there are parts of Afghanistan which are only very sketchily mapped out. Um, that you know, we don't really know the the full details of the terrain. Certainly, in the 1830s, they could disappear and uh, disappear and um, and reappear at will, and absolutely bemuse bemuse the British. Did you go there? No. No, so, nor did I. Nor did I live in the nineteenth century. No, I think no, there's no, a. Uh, <laughs> I think um, there's a. Uh, I think there's a kind of uh, false. I think there's a false assumption that you have to that you have to inter you have to go to these places to be able to write about them. Well, in fact, one of the attractive things about writing about Afghanistan um, was, you know, when I started to write, it was a country that nobody could go to. So basically, it was a country of the mind. That was a very, very appealing thing. And actually, in many ways, it wouldn't have helped me a great deal to have gone to Afghanistan now. Um, Kabul has been destroyed from top to bottom five times since, since the events here. There is nothing left. Of, of the city that I was writing about, so no, I mean I, I, I mean I know the, I know the terrain surrounding Afghanistan, um, but in a way I wanted a kind of blank space that I could just create for myself. So your smelly Kabul is that based on contemporary uh, accounts, <laughs> or did you just make it up? It's a bit of both. Uh, I mean, I was thinking. I was thinking very much of Indian cities that I that I know well, um, and added to that, there are very detailed contemporary accounts of what Kabul was like, which always go on about um, how. Um, how fruitful it was. It was a city that was absolutely full of orchards. It was a very beautiful city. 
um, and it was it was what the British in India um, found very attractive. It was a very kind of bracing city. The weather was was very, it was thought to be very good for them. So they 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 liked that very much, and they went on about the the beauty and nobility of the city a great deal. So. Uh, it was a bit of both. It was sort of memories of, of my kind of various trips to Calcutta and Bombay and so on, um, plus the, this sort of poetic reinterpretation that you get in travel writing of the time. The Mulberry Empire, you have a subtitle. What's or? The Two Virtuous Journeys of the Amir Dost Mohammed Khan. Um, Dost Mohammed is the, is the emperor of the Afghans, and the, his two virtuous journeys in the book are the first one when he basically ran away from the British invasion, and the second one when he returned to, to take up his throne again. And it's part of the argument of the book that the, um, the one, of the, the, um, one of the crucial things about being a great emperor is, um, is knowing when to abdicate. But is his character the one, the character you paint here, is that reasonably historically accurate, as far as you know? It's well, uh, quite a lot is known about Dost Mohammed. Um, he was, um, he was probably, he was probably pretty much as I've painted him. Um, the oddly, the classic, um, the classic biography of Dost Mohammed um, was written by. One of the Indians who was on the British side, uh, Mohan Lal, who um, had every reason really to despise and dislike Dost Mohammed um, for you know destroying the the British side. But it's a very admiring biography. It's a very kind of fair biography. Um, and yes, I think that he does he does come across from research pretty well as I've painted him as a very kind of intelligent, far-seeing and curious sort of man. Um, I, did, I did get to, uh, I think, you know, writing a novel, sometimes one gets bored of, of characters, sometimes one gets more and more interested in them. And I got more and more interested in Dost Mohammed as I went on. Would an Englishman have really stood out so much in Kabul at the time, do you think? Well, uh, yes, I think they probably would. Um, though, I mean, it was not somewhere that many Europeans got to. I think before, before the first Afghan war, we know, we know pretty well the names of every European that went to Kabul. Um, it was it was a sort of um, it was a sort of place that a lot of Asian. Um, traders kind of travelled through. It was a sort of place on the Silk Road. Um, occasionally some Russians would have got there. Very, very few British people ever got there. Why did the British think it would be a good idea to wander into Afghanistan? Well, basically they were, con they were controlling or had influence over the, um, o over the territories on either side, the Punjab on one side, Iran on the other. Um, they weren't exactly running them, but they, they were within their sphere of influence. And the great dream of the British was to establish an overland route to India from the Mediterranean. I mean, if they could, you know, if they could get, get, from, get reliably from, from, um, from Istanbul all the way to Calcutta without having to go all the way around Africa, because remember the Suez Canal wasn't built at this period, um, then it would make things much, much easier. It would take them much less than this five or six months that it took to get there. 
And Afghanistan looked to them like a peaceful, peaceful country because Dost Mohammed had subdued them. And they were absolutely terrified that the Russians were going to take it over, at which point the whole, the, the whole dream of an overland route um, would just fall to the ground. So really, it was, it was more, uh, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't very strongly thought out um, at all. And no one really kind of considered at any point whether this was strictly necessary. Um, and then they just blundered on and on and on. It was what, sad. But sad the British, story. the British presumably at the time were used to winning. Yes, it was pretty well the first imperial adventure um, that they lost. Um, and it had great repercussions, actually, the catastrophe of the first Afghan war. I mean, people were still referring to it um, at the time of the mutiny, the Indian mutiny in 1857, you know, nearly 20 years later. And it was very clear that, you know, the defeat of the, the British by Dost Mohammed and his son Akbar um, did actually teach the whole of Asia that these were not... Um, these were not people who just who were invincible. Um, you could take them on and beat them. It had very very long long term implications. Did you pick this story up? Or was your enthusiasm lit by Jan Morris? It was started by Jan Morris. Um, I mean, the Jan Morris's um, uh, Pax Britannica trilogy was the first time I read a detailed account of it, uh, and I immediately saw that this was. This was the sort of um, tidy story which you could turn into a novel. Not all wars are. It's very. It would be very difficult to turn most wars into into a novel because they're too complex. Um, but this one has such a kind of clear narrative shape, and um, you know Jan Morris is such a kind of great storyteller. She tells it in about five pages, but it just the more I went into it, the more it sort of expanded and expanded and expanded, and suddenly it's two hundred thousand words long. As a reader, there's bits where you think uh, Philip Henshaw's enjoying this, like the uh, like the making of the Christmas dinner. Yeah, that was um, well. That's a that's a funny one actually because uh, my last novel, um, I realised. Um, when it came out, that there was hardly anything it, that could be read out in public at, um, at readings in bookshops and, and on stage and things um, without, without ex great explanations beforehand. So I thought, with this one, I'm going to write three pages that can just be taken out. It's just a bravura <laughs> performance about the cooking of a Christmas dinner in Kabul. And, um, and that's what it is. But it has a real kind of historical basis, that episode. I mean, one of the f very fascinating things about the whole, um, the whole of the great game, the whole rivalry between Britain and Russia um, over the control of Central Asia, is that the participants very, very rarely met face to face. And one of the very few occasions they did was this one, when Vitkovich, the Russian envoy, and Burns, the British envoy, found themselves in Kabul at Christmas, and Burns, it is known, invited Chris Vitkovich to Christmas dinner as cooked by the imperial chefs of the, the, the Afghan emperor. Um, it's too much of a temptation to resist for a novelist. I was talking to Philip Henscher about the book The Mulberry Empire. The conversation took place 20 years ago, but the book is still, I think, relevant and still available.